For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. I'm Lucas, I got Chris and Uriah here, and before we get started, Uriah is going to introduce a very special guest. Alright everybody listening out there, all the Sixer Sense fans and followers, you know who this person is based on her amazing drawings that she posts on Instagram. Obviously on Twitter, I think she's on Etsy. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an up-and-coming digital artist, Duwani Soraya. She's well-known for her popular comic drawings of many Sixers players. Any Sixers player that has put on a uniform in the past two years, she has drawn them. It is remarkable the talent that she displays through her her artistry, and we are so proud to have you, Duwani. How are you tonight? I am doing very well. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing good. We're, we are blessed to be in your presence. Uh, it, it's funny, guys, when uh, Duane got on earlier, I, I mentioned some of the uh, previous guests that we've had, and I mentioned we had uh, Daryl Moy's daughter on, Karen, and she's up at NYU doing fantastic things behind the camera visually, and then we have Duane here now who's doing cool stuff with her digital artistry, so it's awesome to have her. Yeah, we're really excited. I'm For excited. sure. Yeah. You're you're becoming a, a cult favorite among Sixers media, so yeah. I'm glad to have sure you on. Sure feels that way. <laughs> yeah, big time. And she's only, well, I'm not going to give her age away, but she's young. She's in her 20s. But anyway, let's get to uh, some questions about Duwani's career. I'm happy that you think that the 20s is still young, Uri. Thank you. Hey, man, I was born in 76, so I can't really can't really comment on anything about the youngsters. Is that a Gen X? Is, are you a Gen X, Duwani? I I think I'm in the middle of, I'm not really Gen Z. I don't consider Gen Z to be. When I say me. Gen X, Gen Z, all right. Yeah, somewhere. Whatever. There. Not that it matters. Let's get to, let's get into some questions related to yep. how your it. career started. Let's do it. So tell us, how did you get into drawing digital artwork or, or comics in particular? Um, it's actually a funny story. Um, it honestly started as a complete experiment. Like my background used to be colored pencils and, and markers and then when I was in college for work I had to use some digital software like Photoshop and Procreate and while using that I was like this is really cool because in, in digital work you're able to use different brushes um, different textures to achieve the look that you wanted so 
I don't really think I started the comic stuff until like a year or two ago when I found these vintage like paper textures that really looked old and distressed. And I had been collecting comics for a long time. Awesome. That's awesome. All right. So, Dewani, as we mentioned earlier, you've done quite a lot of work um, depicting various Sixer players. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just take us through why that is? Maybe your connection to the team, how that started, you know, your fandom. Like, like why okay. is that? Yeah. Um, I've been a Sixers fan, I'd say, for about three or four years. Um, so I don't really uh, have a lot of, like, let's say, like childhood experience. I kind of just became a fan because I wanted to get back into basketball and I wasn't going to choose the Nets because they left New Jersey, which is where I'm from. (laughs) So the only closest team was Philadelphia. Um, And I just, I like the vibe of the team, the fandom, albeit has a few stereotypes, but it was just something that, you know, when I first started getting into art for the Sixers, um, I was only really doing it for myself because at the time, you know, I didn't have as many followers as I do now. I was just posting it for my friends and people from from school to see. But when I started posting them, like the response that I was getting was <laughs> like shocking to me, I guess, because I don't think I really thought of, you know, art being a way where I could connect to such a, a vast majority of people. So... Um, I think for Sixers players, it's definitely the fandom that that makes me want to keep doing it more. And, you know, the NBA season is so fast-paced, fast-paced to be able to, you know, freeze a moment in within a game that, you know, could go unnoticed, but also a moment that people would remember forever. And to take that and put it into something cool like a comic book cover, um... You know, it's it's really enjoyable for me and, and obviously for a lot of people. Hey, quick question before Lucas asks his. Is there a particular process that you go through before you choose what you're going to draw next? Do you have a rotation or is it just what inspires you, what you've seen um, in that game? There's a few different things. Um, with, like, obviously, after a game, if something big happened, like we scored a game winner or something, Mm-hmm. Obviously, it'll be that, but if it's just like a run-of-the-mill game, I'll usually hop on Twitter and ask um, my followers what they think I should be drawing next. Uh, so, Dewani, you, yes. you talked about your fans, mm-hmm. and you've grown quite a following, and your artwork has even caught the attention of the local CBS Philly network. Yeah. How does it feel to know that your work is respected by Philly fans? Honestly, I would say that I have a lot of uh, gratitude towards them. Because I think, I don't want to sound too soppy, but they definitely changed my life um, and helped me push myself into a career that I was honestly nervous about approaching um, since high school. I didn't really know knew if I wanted to go into art. Um, and, you know, from where I am, people kind of look down in, in a career in the art, so I wasn't really sure if that's what I wanted to do, but... Obviously, they've been nothing but supportive, and they always have my back, and I have theirs. Um, like I said before, you know, I ask them what they want to see next, and it's it's a nice discussion to have back and forth. And like I said before, Philly fans sometimes get a bad rep um, of being a little too hardcore, but I think most of that stems from, you know, they just want to show appreciation and support one of their own, and 
I, I really can't say enough good things about how much they've supported me. Oh, and, and the journey has just begun for you, Duwani. Yeah. So, first of all, I'm just glad you didn't start drawing the Nets in their super <laughs> team. That would have been, I mean, yeah, there would have been that. some cool pictures you could draw of those guys up there, but we're glad that you, you stuck with Philly. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of your drawings, I'm sure you have some favorites. I know oh, a lot of artists are like, oh, and all of them are my favorite. No, we want to know, what are, you, what are your top three or four, you know, drawings that you've published? Um... I think the top, top one definitely has to be uh, the Allen Iverson movie poster that I did of The Step Over. Um, mm-hmm. That was a really fun little project. Um, then I would say uh, Joel's 50-point game this last season against the Bulls. That was a fun cover to do. Um, and that print is actually hanging in Daryl Morey's office. So. What? Flex a little, wow, but that's cool. That's gotta be up there. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Did you um, give it to him, or did did he ask if he could pay for it? Just out of curiosity. He actually bought. Um, what? He's bought a few. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Sixers fans! Summer is here. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? You're in luck because our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. So what's in the Manscaped Performance Package? Well, inside the package, you'll find their Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. So join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Handle your trimming needs this summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Again, that's manscaped.com for 20% off using the code FANSIDED20. And now, back to the podcast. All right, so the Embiid 50-pointer, the AI crossover, mm-hmm. or step over, then, what's another one? I would say the big energy chain that Joel was wearing. That one Oh, yes. One. Yes, yeah, yeah. I love that one. <laughs> is, that where, then, is that where he's lounging in a chair? Yep. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. He has the flavor flav uh clock on his yeah. Yes, yeah. I love it. That was a that was a fun one. And then I think my my last favorite, but it's still up there, um is the one that I did of Tobias, which is called The Closer. And that one I actually really like because it was inspired by an Iron Man comic. So you'll see some parallels between his cover in Iron Man. And I really like that one. That one's probably it- my favorite. And now that, if I remember correctly, is that the one that he got the game winner over um, Alex Caruso, the Lakers? Um, no, that's a different one. That was okay. uh, Toby Call's game, which was okay. him, Ben, and Joel on the same color. This one was, um, I don't know how to describe this. It had like a turquoise background, and his eyes were lit up. Like did lasers. he? Did you put a little uh, a little speech bubble? I'm an effing all star. Is that the one? That's also a different one. I've done oh, okay. a lot of Toby ones. He's yeah. definitely my favorite to draw. Oh, okay. Is he your favorite Sixers player, or is he just your favorite uh, to draw? I don't know if I have. I mean, obviously, my favorite Sixers player is Joel. But okay. Tobias is up there. He's a really, really dope human, and I really appreciate him for that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah, super cool. And uh, for you, Dewani. With your artwork getting as much exposure as it has, what, what's been the coolest thing about that so far? Ooh, 
There is, um, there's definitely a few cool things. I think the most recent one was, um, I went to a playoff game in May against, uh, the Wizards. And we're not going to talk about round two because it's not important. Exactly. Um, but I was walking back to my car after the game and someone shouted at me, I love your comics. And I was like, whoa, what just happened? And yeah, someone recognized me in the middle of the Wells Fargo parking lot, which is huge. Um, so that was pretty surreal. Um, I was like the first time I've had a, a quote unquote fan interaction. Um, but what else? Let's say, um, like I said, Daryl Murray has some of my prints in his office, which is pretty, pretty surreal, I think. It's kind of insane. Um, and then there's a few other things. Not that this is important, but uh, I got follows from Dwight Howard and Tobias and some other people. Um, but Dwight is definitely a big one. I know I, I met up with some friends the other day <laughs> um, from high school, and they were like, Dwight Howard follows you. Do you know that? And I'm like, yeah, we're besties. You ain't got to worry about that. Um, so that's pretty cool. It's kind of insane to say that Dwight Howard follows me because he's like a Hall of Famer. And then I would say, I think the best part about all this is, um, like I said before, in my hometown, in my high school, like people definitely look down upon a career in the art. Um, they're more towards business and high corporate jobs and stuff like that. But I know there's a lot of different people out there who probably have the same struggle that I did. Um, and to be able to sort of prove all of them wrong and be like, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do, and it makes me happy, so it doesn't matter. And, you know, if people from my hometown and my high school can see that, oh, wow, like, you can, you work hard and, you know, you keep your passion up to it, then you can definitely do it. And I think that's the best part, because um, if I can inspire them and, and show them that this is possible, then I'm doing my job right yeah, that's awesome. And it's definitely good to feel validated for something that you're passionate about. I can definitely mm -hmm. relate to that. Um, so we're just going to wrap it up here with the last question regarding your work. And and we kind of touched on this when I asked my question previously. Mm -hmm. For people that are interested in your artwork, what site can they visit? And what are your social media handles so that they can go see your art firsthand as well? Yeah, so I have all my prints and all my artwork on sale on Etsy. Uh, the shop name is Desaraya Art, D-S-A-R-A-I-Y-A-R-T. Um, the same handle on Instagram and Twitter. And then my personal Twitter is at Dwani Saraya underscored. Awesome. Okay. Dwani, your story is very inspirational to be so Thank young you. <laughs> and to go out, take a risk, put yourself out there. A lot of mm -hmm. people wouldn't do what you did, but clearly you have a path that you've created for yourself. You have a following, you have the six or cents now on your side, you know, and, and you're not with Brooklyn. That's all that matters from this conversation exactly, is that you're, exactly. you're with the Sixers. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll make sure that all of your links and stuff get into, um, you know, our platform and, mm -hmm. and we'll support you all the way through. We wish you the yeah. best. Thanks all right? guys. Thanks. Absolutely. Hey everybody, we're back from a break. We just finished up our interview with Duwani on the first part of this podcast. And now we're going to get into some Sixers talk. So Chris, go ahead and take us away with Summer League action. All righty, we're going to talk about the second game of Summer League first, which was the 96-88 win over Atlanta in overtime. A pretty exciting game. 
for both sides, really. Atlanta got out to a big lead in the first half, and then Philly came storming back in the second half. That second half was some of the most exciting basketball I've watched in a long time, frankly. Um, so at the end of the game, 31 points, six boards, five dimes for Tyrese, 21 for Isaiah Joe, 20 and 12 for Paul Reed. What were some of your big takeaways, Lucas? Uh, first off, Tyrese Maxey is ready for at least the six-man role, if not possibly a starting role. Now, like you said, I don't don't think this will happen unless Simmons gets traded, but and they don't get Damian Lillard. But like <clears throat> in all actuality, I mean, Maxey he had a rough first half, but then he was able to reel it back in and was able to focus in that second half. Paul Reed was the hyper active big man, you know, going for the offensive glass, playing strong defense, and, and you know, as strong as you can against Jalen Johnson, because Jalen Johnson's a beast, and Sharif Cooper should have been a first-round pick. Arguably, based on what we've seen so far, possibly a lottery pick. I mean, it's a little bit too early to say that, because it's summer league, but, I mean, God, good gosh, the kick can ball, so can Maxi. There are going to be a lot of good guards coming out of this this draft because you look at those two plus like guys like miles mcbride kate coming cuttingham um help me out with a few others here chris but like this is a strong uh, guard. Jaling green miles mcbride is a bit of a stretch there because uh, I don't know chris you can... have you have you seen what he's been doing with the knicks it's i don't know if you can put him right next to kate cunningham that's a no i'm not i'm not not i'm not saying that they're on the same skill level i'm saying in terms of having a strong point guard class yeah because, I mean, he's a second-round pick, and he's playing like a first-round pick in this summer league. Yeah, like, I mean, there are a lot of good guards in this class. You know, I think Jaden Springer's right up there, maybe not a pure point guard. But, you know, Jalen Suggs was the number five pick. He's going to kick butt. So, a lot of good guards in this class. I I think we can say Cooper should have been a lottery pick or near a lottery pick. I had him 13th on my board. I, It's inexplicable that he dropped as far as he did. Um. Yeah, that that Hawks team is is pretty remarkable in how deep they are. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of annoying, but the Sixers, from their perspective, um, you know, my Paul Reed stock is doing quite well these past few games. Real, some real high moments for me. Um, Isaiah Joe looks like he could fight for rotation next next season. I'm not quite as confident as some who are like saying he should beat out Furkan, but. I'm not ready to say that yet, but another it depends on what he can do defensively. Yeah, look, Furkan had his share of big summer league games too, not that long ago. Uh, Forty, not, what was it? Forty-three points. Yeah, it's not that hard yeah. to have a good summer league game if you've been in the in the league for a year. Um, but a lot of good stuff from Isaiah Joe, who has been trying out some new things on offensively and and you know doing it quite well. Solid um, playmaker. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the Celtics game too. That was a bit less exciting from Philadelphia's perspective. The final score was one hundred to eighty in Boston's favor. Very notably, Tyrese Maxey was not there for that game, which we're going to talk about more in a second here. But another pretty good Paul Reed game: fourteen points, ten boards, had some active um, defensive possessions. Isaiah Joe had 15, which led the team in scoring. What were some of your takeaways from that game, Lucas? I was a little disappointed in how uh, Frank Mason played. I was expecting him to come out and play, but he is coming off a groin injury, so maybe that hampered him a little bit. Uh, 
I was hoping to see more from Deshaun Nix, but it's clear that he's just a raw prospect. He has really good potential as a playmaker. Like, the guy can drop dimes. That's not the issue. It's everything else. And I think a year in the G League, another year in the G League playing, you know, on the blue, hopefully on the Blue Coast, that hopefully they give him an Exhibit 10. Honestly, I I thought, I think they should, uh, you know, waive Rajon Tucker because I haven't been impressed with him in Summer League. And then just go f- sign Knicks to a two-way. That's that's what I think they should do. I'm not impressed by Rajon Tucker. I mean, I love his dunking. Don't get me wrong, but as a prospect, I think he's hit a ceiling. He's not a good three-point shooter. He's a uh, he's a solid defender. He can make the occasional you know right play passing wise, but he's very limited as an offensive player. And I just don't see that improving to a point where he can be an NBA player. So I, I would rather use it on a young guy like Knicks and have him sign to a two-year, two-way contract, something similar um, to what they have done. They did with like Shake Milton in the past before they converted his contract. Um, I, I think that would be a wise use of it. I think Knicks has promise, but you need to have him ingrained in that G League, and I think a two-way contract keeps him in Philly for at least a year or two. So I would prefer that. Um Outside of that, Peyton Pritchard is really good on the Celtics. I mean, the guy's efficient scoring. He's a really good playmaker. I mean, the guy, he's going to get rotational minutes. And honestly, I'm trying to think, would you rather start? You you might want to start him and have Marcus Smart stay in that six-man role. No, you're starting Schroeder. Oh, that's right. They did get Schroeder. My bad. I forgot about Schroeder. Never mind. But still, he's a really good point guard to have coming off the bench. He's going to orchestrate that second unit very well and play good defense. Yeah, I, I think those are all fair points. On the Knicks thing, I don't think he's quite as far along as Shake was, for instance, coming out of college. So I can get maybe, maybe trying to put him in the G League for a year or two. Um, like Tucker is closer to being playable in an NBA game than Deshaun Nix right now. I, I, of course. He, he's obviously a bit older, and you're right. He's probably around his ceiling. I don't think he's going to get much better, but he is like a pretty freakish athlete and a good defender, and there's some level of value in that as like your 16th or 17th guy. Obviously, the Sixers are trying to win, so I, I get keeping him around, um, especially if you can keep Nix like on an exhibit 10. If you have him around the organization that way, I I don't mind Tucker being the second two-way guy. I'm um, just afraid that if he does show out in the G League, then that exhibit 10 doesn't stop other teams from poaching him for a regular contract. Yeah, I mean, that, that's true. Um, that's why I like the two-way a little bit better. I wouldn't expect him to play on that. If, we, if he does, then the Sixers are clearly in trouble. Um, but, I mean... You have it on two. You have both of your, you know, two-way contracts on wings and Rajon Tucker and uh, Henry. And either you, I think you should use it on a big man like Charles Bassey because his contract isn't, you know, fixed yet because he's still not playing. Or you know, use it on a guy like Knicks. Um, probably yeah. Bassey would get a better shot at that two-way versus Knicks, but still, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think Bassey would make a lot of sense if they want to keep that 15th roster spot open. I don't really see the point of bringing Anthony Tolliver back. Um, so we'll see what the plan is there, because Bassey's been sitting because he doesn't have his contract signed yet, so I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, 
Philip Petrusev hasn't really figured it out offensively yet. No, no, he hasn't. He's had like 30 blocks, so credit to him for showing up effort-wise and playing some defense. Uh, yeah, Paul Reed. Yeah, go for it. No, no, no I was just going to agree with you. Never mind. Yeah, you know, Paul Reed, I, I can't say enough good things about him. Uh, he's pretty remarkable on the defensive end. I don't know how the offense translates to the NBA right now, but I'm sold on the defense, and a lot of the skill is there. So I'm really excited to see how this season plays out for him. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously without Maxi, they got their butts kicked. I think that's probably the, the big takeaway because they looked pretty good, relatively speaking, with Maxi on the floor before that. Uh, but we're going to talk about Maxi a bit more here coming up. So let's talk about Maxi. He did leave summer league. He got pre-approved to by the team to host a youth camp, and I believe it was his hometown. So, Chris, how do you feel about the team allowing Maxi to skip the last few games to host his uh, youth camp? Great. I mean, we talked about it on the last pod. You know about. I mean, at least me and Uriah agreed that he probably shouldn't play all five games because he's too good to be there. It seems like they probably were thinking along the same lines when they approved his uh, camp. So I, I, it's a bummer that they're not going to win the summer league title, but that, that doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme of things. I obviously it's cool for Maxi to be hosting a camp in his hometown. I'm sure that's a great experience for him. And, you know, without Maxi, we get to see Frank Mason more for the first time. We get to see more Deshaun Nick stuff like that. So there, there are other opportunities for guys to step into bigger roles and try new things. So I, I think it's a good thing all around. For sure. And the Sixers are actually playing their, uh, I guess it would be their final summer league game as we're recording right now. No, um, no, they're going to play a fifth one. Oh, they are playing the fifth one? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they are playing their fourth game right now against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, I don't have the game pulled up on my TV right now, so I couldn't tell you the score. But um, yeah, I'm okay with it too. I'm okay with it too. He's doing something for the community and in the grand scheme, like I wanted him to play because I would love just to see him ball out more. But if he's focusing on the community as well as his game, I'm not going to stop the guy from doing it because that just shows that he's not only a good player but a good person. And, I mean, there was no question about it before, but it's good to see that he's his life isn't, you know, there's more to his life than just basketball, and that's great to see as a fan. So I'm more than okay with it. Um, so, Chris, I guess my, la- my other question regarding Maxie is this. As August is halfway over, what is the likelihood – that Maxi will be a star will be on the Sixers to start the season. Give a percentage. Um, I would say pretty high, like ninety-five plus. Um, because like the only logical situation in which you're trading him seems to be a Damian Lillard trade, which I it doesn't seem like they're gonna trade Lillard before the season starts from Portland's perspective. Um, you know, that could change in a hurry. There's always a chance that Lillard gets antsy quicker than we think, but all the signs point to Lillard starting the season there, whether Philly keeps Ben, whether they trade him to San Antonio or Golden State or whatever, any of those other Ben trades are going to involve multiple pieces coming back to Philly, and, and it's not going to involve them giving out another high-level asset next to Ben just because we're not contract dumping Ben. He, he's still worth quite a bit. 
So I, unless it's a Lillard trade or a Beal trade, which also isn't going to happen before the season starts, I don't see Maxi getting moved. So I, I would say the odds are pretty pretty strong that Maxi will be on the roster opening night. Yeah, I, I tend to agree too. Unless Simmons forces his way out, but I could see this turning into a Houston situation where it takes like ten to twenty games for Benton to get what you know forcing his way out to happen. Um, well, that has nothing to do with Maxi, unless uh, they're not going to trade Maxi to get rid of Ben. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I agree. I agree. I'm just saying, like, if the Lillard thing happens, you know, or you know. Like you said, I, I agree. I think it's ninety five percent or higher that he's that he's on the Sixers opening day roster. It just it makes no sense. And unless you get like Lillard or Beal, you're probably don't need to give up Maxi. Even if you get a guy like say Zach Levine, you still don't need to give up Maxi. You can give up a pick or two with Ben if you have to. Um, or a lower level player like Isaiah Joe or, you know, Fork on Corkmas. Some somebody like that, though you would have to wait to trade for Corkmas because he just signed. Um That being said, you know I'm honestly, Chris, and I'm feeling I know Maury wants to wait out for Lillard, but the way that I'm feeling right now, and just you know, we talked about it on the last pod, I, I feel like Ben's gonna make this very uncomfortable. And he might be able to force his way out, and the Sixers are going to have to settle for, you know, four quarters versus a dollar, you know, for Ben Simmons. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's very possible. Um, if you do end up trading Ben and you're not getting an equal player in return, I think the priority there is just to get as many young guys and picks as you can, which clearly Maury has been trying to do. Um, so you can then flip those for Lillard hypothetically and just throw the entire, you know, the entire kitchen sink at him. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Hey, speaking, yeah. speaking of uncomfortable, Lucas's article about how it could get ugly. Uh, time is seemingly it's going fast, but it's also at the same time seems like it's going slow because you got summer mm-hmm. league and, and then obviously training camp. But the way I see things, Lucas, after reading your article, is I'm looking at the dynamic of how the season ended versus what's happening in the middle leading up to training camp, which is critical when you start the season. Mm -hmm. And if you think about all the players who came out publicly, his teammates, to support him, let's go down the list real quick. Dwight Howard, Danny Green, uh, Seth Curry, no Joel Embiid. And I know how Chris feels like it's obvious, right, after what happened in the press conference at the end of the, the season in the, in the playoffs. That is – that's that's going to force Maury to maybe push it a little well, bit more, in, in my opinion. Not the well, I don't, th- do I, don't think, I don't think the reason – I think the fact that Joel tried to reach out to Ben and Ben didn't answer – I think that's bigger telling because that means right. Joel's well, that, trying. That leads, that's cause and effect. That leads into yeah. making it ugly, which was your, what your article was about. So yeah. I think Maxi. I think there's a, a like a, I say it's fifty fifty. It all depends on Maury's, I guess, tolerance in terms of dealing with Ben and whatever's going on behind the scenes that we don't see. But the well, writing's on the wall when all these other players are coming out supporting Ben, but your star player is not coming out public. My my thing with that is like, why does that affect? whether Maxi will be on the roster. Because, again, unless it's Lillard, why would they attach Maxi to Ben to trade him anywhere? 
Right. That's, that's, I, that's my point. point. I think yeah. Maxi would have to be part of the deal to go with Ben because they're not going to trade him straight up for Lillard. It's, they're not. Well, no, well, but what, what Chris is saying, Uriah, is this, is that, that Portland's not going to trade Lillard unless Lillard asks. Same thing with uh, Beal. It doesn't look like they're going to ask before the start of the regular season. That's what Chris is saying. Look, Chris, yeah. you saw those sunflowers. Oh, my game. gosh. Come on, man. <laughs> Chris doesn't that, like that. That was look. that was funny. So for our listeners in our private group chat, Uriah sent us a sound clip of one of his. I, I believe it was one of your friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Requoting Uriah from our last podcast regarding the meaning of the sunflower. Which for those that didn't listen, Uriah is stuck on this sunflower that Matisse had when he got the bronze medal in the picture with Damian Lillard, and it's like a sign of harvesting. Yes, he's going to harvest bounty. bounty. He's going to get. He's going to harvest uh, Damian Lillard from the Blazers and bring him to them because it's all you know on Matisse Thibel well, now. Yo, but I mean, Chris, he he's so logical. I mean, he's just like boom, 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 Mister Logic. And he said it best. Well, all the other Australian players probably are carrying the same thing. Yes, that is true. But I'm just living in the fantasy world, Chris. Let me have my fun. All right, I'm out of here. Okay, so Chris, you want to go ahead to our next uh, topic? We're going to talk about Danny Green a little bit. Um, obviously, he resigned with the franchise. Two years, $20 million. The second year is non-guaranteed. According to Rich Hoffman over at The Athletic, several Sixers were instrumental in bringing Green back. Um, I mean, we heard Green talk about it in his reintroduction interview with, with reporters. He said that Joel reached out to him. He said that Tobias was calling him like every day up until he signed. Uh, notable exception, of course, is Ben didn't call him, yada, yada, yada. Um, what does it say about Green, Lucas, that teammates are reaching out to him, that they want him to return, that there's clearly a, a very strong effort from the Philly guys to get him back there? Well, I- I'll say this even more. It wasn't just his teammates. It was his former teammates. Dwight tried to get him to go back to Los Angeles. George Hill tried to get him to go to the uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but I believe I saw a tweet of Danny saying that even the Brooklyn Nets tried to work out a sign and trade. Um, mm-hmm. So the point is, Danny Green, despite losing a step this past season, which I think it's fair to say, at least on the defensive end, is still a very valuable player in the NBA and that his teammates realize that he's good both on and off the court, you know, as a locker room guy, veteran, and as a three-point shooter. Because, I mean, gosh, the guy shot, I believe, over 40% this past season, and he can still guard the best of them. I mean, he gave, I mean, granted, Russell Westbrook is a flawed player, but he still gave, uh, you know, future Hall of Famer problems in the playoffs. So... With that in mind, I mean, gosh, the guy, the guy's special. He's still a good player. He got what is basically the full mid-level exception, which is uh, nine point four million or nine point six million this year. So the guy, the guy can ball, and it's it's not surprising that the two, the team's two leaders in terms of scoring and probably like you know leadership in the locker room and Danny Green and Joel Embiid reached out to him. Not surprising. Not surprising in the least bit. Not Danny Green, Tobias Harris, and uh, Joel Embiid. Yeah, I mean, what it comes down to is the Sixers could pay him more than other contenders. 
Um, like he, Cleveland was mentioned as a team that was after him. He doesn't want to go to Cleveland. I, no. I'm pretty confident in saying that. Um, yeah. Brooklyn doesn't have the full mid-level to pay on Danny Green. Milwaukee doesn't. The Lakers don't, et cetera, et cetera. So the Sixers could pay him more than those teams. I think that's pretty much what it comes down to. Um, I'm sure, like, he said unfinished business, Joel and yes. Tobias, all that helps. Like, him being here last season helps. But at the end of the day, there's also a pretty considerable time period there where we were all panicked that he was going somewhere else, where the rumors was that, you know, he wanted to play somewhere else. So it probably came down to money, if, if I had to guess. Um, but obviously it's nice to have him back. He's, as you said, a very valuable player, still an important part of that starting five for the Sixers. So losing him would have been a pretty big bummer. So it, it, it's a great deal. I think the, he's worth the money, and the Sixers are going to really benefit from having him around the team again next year. For sure, for sure. And, um, yeah, you said unfinished business. I was going to say that if you didn't. Uh, but let's, we're going to switch gears here again. And talk about one of probably the most polarizing players from the early 2000s to late, like early 2010s in the NBA. And Metal World Peace, formerly known as Ron Artest. Um, Artest himself, or World Peace himself, was known for being a little bit chaotic. Uh, obviously, the malice in the palace is what he's associated with. I don't think they, you know, obviously the fans were out of line there for sure. Um, but, you know, Ron Artest has been a polarizing figure. I keep on calling him Ron Artest. His legally is Metal World Peace or something now. It might be different than that. But um, he recently was on Shannon Sharp's uh, podcast. And he was interviewed by Sharp, um, who works for Fox. And um, in there, he said that Ben Simmons' shooting issues can be fixed by a sports psychologist. So, Chris, let me ask you this. Do you agree with world peace, do you think if he went to his sports psychologist that it would be fixed? We cannot earnestly say that we have any clue what's going on in Ben's head. Like we can guess, we can project, and you know, guess at things. But only Ben's the one that can truly know whether or not that would help him out, whether or not that's the right move. And at least people who have been like talking to him, like have firsthand experience with him in the gym. Like, we as podcasters sitting at home can't really, I don't think, say that with any certainty. I don't, even Meta World Peace, who has been in the league for a while and certainly has experience with these things, probably can't say with absolute certainty where Ben's head is at or what will help Ben. So, like, like no, I don't think I can say, like, I agree or disagree. It, it's, it's up to Ben. Ben would have to say, hey, that's what I need, that's what I want. And he would have to do it. And if that is what he needs and what he wants and it helps, then great. But I don't know if we can, like, speak with any certainty on the issue. Well, Chris, this is where me and you are going to disagree because I totally agree with Meta World Peace. I've been saying that since Game 7. In fact, I might have been saying it before then, but I definitely remember saying it after Game 7. I think he should go to a sports psychologist. It's clearly... At least, you know, let's talk. take away Ben the person, but Ben the basketball player. It's clearly a mental hiccup. It's been there. We talk, we, we even, you know, the Jack, Jackie McMullen piece that we reference so often on this is a clear indication there's a mental block there on some level. So, yes, I think All a right. sports psychologist well, would help. I want to adjust that because 
Metal World Peace said a similar thing. Like, he can shoot, but he won't. Which I think is a... Really, like, thinking about it, is a pretty big oversimplification because the guy shot 30% at the free-throw line. We've seen him hit a few threes late in games against, like, a team from China and stuff, but that... He's not a good shooter. But, like, Chris, like this, he shot over 60% during the regular season. He can... And, yes. He, and at that one point... Not, that is not and, a good percentage at the free throw line. I, I don't disagree, but here's the thing, Chris. At one point during the season, he was pushing 70. He regressed, but he, he was pushing 70 at one point. All right. Yeah. And, he's, and, he's not a good shooter. Would you agree with that? Well, it's okay. We can talk about why he's not a good okay, shooter. He has <laughs> bad mechanics. He has he's no using touch. the wrong he's hand. He's never had touch. And he's I, using I, the wrong hand. Okay, that's fine. But none of that has to do with sports psychology. It has to do with the fact that he can't shoot at a high level. And if he but doesn't it? But but doesn't it though, Chris? Because if you're not you if you're not changing your mechanics, if you know your shot is broke and you're not changing your mechanics, you're not changing your hand, that's a level of stubbornness there. That's not a psychology thing. That's a work ethic thing. That's But like, that is a psychological thing. Well, well, hold on. Let me let me jump in here. I think it's a combination of everything. It's attitude towards work ethic. It's also, I think, pressure. Like shooting sixty percent in regular season, uh, Lucas is true. But once the stakes are higher, there's more people in the stands. There's more viewers on television at home. Ben felt that pressure. Pressure, and I'm sure his arms were heavy, and like the basketball is like shooting a bowling ball. It's probably a combination of everything you guys are talking about. I agree, Chris. We we don't know what's going on in his head. I personally, if I look at if I looked at the the interview with uh, Metal World Peace again, I do remember him saying something about before games. I guess game seven or before big games, he admitted that he got nervous, but he was able to channel that nervous energy, and he said it himself, Lucas. I I just said I wanted to win more. It was like his urge to win, I guess, stronger than his his nervousness so i think until ben gets to that point he won't be able to handle the pressure and to the do- double back on your uh, metal world peace point he didn't win a championship granted it was with kobe bryant but he didn't win it until he started going to see sports psychologists as well to deal with his issues because he i definitely remember him saying that he started seeing a sports psychologist that season when they won the championship with the lakers so yeah again like maybe that is the case, and maybe it would help Ben, but like we, we just don't have the information. We have never talked to Ben Simmons in our lives. We've never seen him in the gym ourselves. He's never worked out with him. I mean, yeah, we can never say for certain because we haven't talked to him, but two things. First off, let's be real. He wouldn't tell us even if we asked him. Secondly, and more importantly, based off of what we can see, we can make a pretty good some, uh, you know, assumption and uh, we really. are we are we are we are speculating right now. We are speculating. That's yeah, that's it's part all of our conjecture. Is what I'm saying. Like, but 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 it, does, it doesn't that that doesn't mean that there isn't a level of truth there. And, it's true that he played bad, but we can't say it's true absolutely that he the best thing for him is a sports psychologist because only Ben at the end of the day is can know that for sure. It's it's between Ben and himself. So, like, we just can't be the ones who are, like, giving that advice, I think. Like, we can – our test, who has been there, can say maybe it would help. But 
us especially, we can't be like, Ben needs a sports psychologist. We just can't speak with that level of certainty. Well, let's, I, I mean, I think we're just going to agree to disagree there, Chris. But my other question for you is this. Is that, do you think Sixers fans would be less upset if Ben wasn't compared to LeBron and Magic when he first got drafted or even now? And if he's compared to more like, like a Draymond Green or Dennis Rodman, as World Peace said in his interview? Uh, I don't know, man. Do we do Sixers fans really care that he was compared to LeBron at LSU or whatever? Like, does that ever factor into anyone's conversation about Ben? Yes. All so the time. The expectations were set really high, and, and he yeah. showed flashes of that, Chris, at LSU. So it, it kind of snowballed into its own I mean, realm of Steve, reality. Yeah, Stephen A. Smith says all the time that Joel is one shot, jump shot away from being LeBron James 2.0. Ben so, Simmons. Uh, yeah, Ben's, yeah, I said, uh, sorry, Ben Simmons. Well, look, so, Stephen A. says a lot of dumb crap. That. That's just not an accurate statement. So Chris is a Stephen A. hater. No, that's that's just not an accurate statement. (laughs) LeBron is much... is levels above Ben in just about every... Uh, Well, 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 well. Let's let's think about this. Ben's a better rebounder. Ben is as good as a playmaker. No, he's not. That's just... I I would definitely say so. Near, Mm -hmm. at least... Tiebreaker, you're right. Your your thoughts. He's he's he, he's a little bit behind LeBron as a playmaker. And ben? I, I think I think yeah, Ben is not as good a playmaker as LeBron. Okay. And as far as rebounding, I, I, I gotta call it like a seat. He does not bang or box out down low. He gets a lot of lazy rebounds and gets out on the break. Does LeBron but bang guys, down low anymore? We cannot call the guy who can barely contribute to a half-court offense in the playoffs a comparable playmaker to LeBron James. That's ridiculous. Is he a comparable transition playmaker? Maybe. But in the half-court, the dude can't run a pick-and-roll. He, he's a better defender than LeBron. Okay. Well, yeah, but, but no, we're talking about his offensive Guys, okay. oh, I mean, a generational scorer, a generational playmaker, a generational basketball mind, that's not Ben. Ben is smart, and Ben makes some clever plays. He's not LeBron. Well, LeBron may be the greatest to ever do it. Like That's just not where Ben is at. He's not a jumper away from being the greatest basketball player of all time. I think that's just a massive hyperbole. Like, okay. That's just right. not the case. Yeah? Okay, okay. But my question still stands. Do you think if he was compared to Draymond Green and Dennis Rodman more, do you think that would be – that that would help with well, our expectation and his expectation of himself as well. Maybe, sure, but like we've been comparing him to Draymond for two years now, and even that I don't think is a great comparison because Draymond, at the prime of his career, was a much better player. So, it, do you think so? Player. Well, a different player. I wouldn't say better, but different, sure. Draymond was a top twenty, twenty-five guy at his peak. Ben hasn't gotten quite there yet. Uh, Chris, you said beginning of last season that Ben's a top 15 to 20 player. So yeah, and I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. Stop the press. Chris said that he was wrong? wrong? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're right. We finally I'm got it. We made, loop. We made it happen. Guys, we Draymond made it happen. <laughs> again, Draymond is like one of the great basketball minds of all time. Ben is Agreed. not. Draymond is a very different defensive player and probably a more impactful defensive player all around the Bennett. Whoa, whoa. 
Probably, I, I would agree with that. Really? I agree with that. Even, uh, hey, are you talking about Prime, Draymond, or are you talking about this past season? Prime. Are you talking about Prime? Or Yeah. Okay, because this past season, not a chance. I mean, Draymond finished right behind him. And it, it, Draymond, you could argue last season, too. It just depends on what you value in a defender. Didn't different he win defenders. it twice? Didn't he win it twice, Chris? I will say Draymond's a better team defender. Yeah, guys, in, there, there are different yeah. of defense. Yeah. Ben is a better on-ball defender than Giannis and Rudy Gobert and, and Draymond. That doesn't mean he's a better defender in terms of, like, oh, impact. Like, the impact statistics, I can guarantee you, say Draymond and Giannis and Rudy are all much better. So it just depends on what you're looking at. Well, I guess, it, I mean, part of it is Ben has never had to anchor defense by himself because he's always sat in B, too. So, I mean, there there's that aspect. But that's yeah. not even I mean, here. I, I think, like, the thing is, if LeBron and Magic and those expectations affected them, I, I think people put probably too much stock into those is, is the issue more than, like, the fact that people said it. Because people say errant stuff all the time. People have compared Kate Cunningham to Luka Doncic already. That doesn't people mean you can pay attention to that. People know? compared uh, Aaron Gordon to uh, Blake Griffin. Yeah, like, well, just because people yeah. say stuff, just because... Mike Schmitz is out here saying that Upper and Shangun is Nikola Jokic. Doesn't mean I, 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 I wouldn't say that. Hey, look, thanks for that. Thanks for that tweet at one in the morning, Chris, about Sagoon. <laughs> he's just doing his best impersonation of Tony Kukoc. Those are some I, good I, highlights, though. He, oh, he's you mean Poku? That was. Did Poku. I say Sagoon? All right, my bad. I got yeah, it. I, I didn't Poku. see that tweet. You're gonna have to tag me in it, but I did see your eye, Chris, smiling somewhere. Yeah. Hey, look, real, real quick, guys, before you chime in, Lucas, I have to step yeah. up because my, I feel like I was duped. I felt like, was it 2015, 2016? They, yeah. they were hyping Ben up, and they showed highlights of him passing and dunking and driving, and he came to the Sixers, and that's like they put him in his box, and that's all we've known. And then you keep hearing, all he needs is a jump shot. All he needs is a jump shot. And as a fan... I, I was upset because he's not reaching those expectations that were laid before us. And I think it kind of convinced himself, yeah, I'm going to be the next Magic or I can be like LeBron. But had he maybe accepted this role like more of a Draymond, maybe even like a Rodman where he doesn't have to like shoot as much and play more down low, then maybe fans wouldn't be upset. I, I agree with that. But it's not yeah. at this point. It's like out of the bag now. I mean, we both, I mean, and here's the thing. We both, we just recently did a redraft of that class on this podcast. We both agreed that Ben should not have been the number one player. I think I had Jamal Murray and you had who, Jalen Brown? Or was it Jalen Brown that you had? Me? Yeah. What? In the redraft? Yeah, that we did uh, on here. I know I had Jamal Murray. I just can't remember yeah, if you. I believe it was Jalen Brown. Yeah, my, my point is this, that we both agree that Ben probably shouldn't have been that first pick. Looking back, um, and the expectations were too high. Um, that was a lot of hype. And yeah. I mean, part of it was deserved, part of it wasn't. Um, well, I will say this. like Before the season, my answer would have been Ben. So this season clearly changed a lot of people's perspective on him. And I agree with you, Uriah. I do think expectations were too high, and it probably has factored into how people you've been relative to their like disappointment but I, I think it's probably on us as people who watch the team to maybe be better at adjusting expectations because 
I don't think anyone who watched Ben as a rookie was like, this guy's LeBron. This guy's going to be the best player on the planet. I, I think that was just not the case. Um, and Ben was great as a rookie, obviously. Like, a stud. And he still is a stud, like, right now. But I, I think we have to do a better job of adjusting expectations when those initial, like, hype out of the draft doesn't always pin out. Fair enough, fair enough. But I think I think we convinced ourselves, oh, it's going to happen. Oh, it's going to happen. It wasn't until, like, the third year where we were like, what if it doesn't? Mm-hmm. What do we do then? And, and I think part of the plan was, at least in Colangelo's mind, that if it doesn't happen, we still have Markel Fultz. But we all know how that tune ended up um, playing out. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I and I think that, you know, to expect him to be more of like that defensive anchor who's like that third star, but star in his role type thing where he's not expected to score. The third non like this. There are teams that have stars like offensive stars. And then there's teams that have like the defensive stars, like, you know, the Ben Wallace, Dennis Rodman, Draymond Green, uh, you know, those type of championship teams that have those guys that are just so important to the defense and like other aspects of the game that, you know, the offense takes a back seat. I think that's what Ben's going to have to be wherever he ends up because it's not going to be here in Philly, not in the long term. Yeah, that's that's just what I think. But, yeah, I think I think we're ready to close out, guys. Yeah, I was about to say, Chris, do you want to play us out? All right. Um, just to close things out, Sixers just lost to Minnesota in OT of the fourth game of, of Summer League. Paul Reed, though, 27 points, 20 rebounds, four assists, four blocks, four steals. 11 to 17 from the field. Second 2020 game in summer league history. Uh, I'm feeling good. So we'll, we'll end the pod on that note. As always, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to yet another week's episode of the Six Cents Podcast. Uh, as always, please leave a review, a rating, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, wherever you're listening. It would really help us out. And you can, of course, listen on our website as well at thesixersense.com. So until next week, or later this week, pardon me. Um, Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk to you then. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. 
Granger, for the ones who get it done.